Hello, everyone, and welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. I'm so glad that you could join us for this episode. It's a really exciting one. I am so thrilled because we have a fabulous guest on with us this week. She was very gracious in filling a last-minute hole that I had, but she had someone that I had on my radar that I really, really wanted to talk to. So when she said she would come on, I was super excited. She will tell you a little bit more about herself, but she is an award-winning and best-selling author of numerous fiction and nonfiction books. Her books have garnered starred reviews from Booklist and Publishers Weekly. She's been honored with the Christie Award and the Gold Medal from the Military Writers Society of America, and also the Golden Scroll Award from the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association. I think that you will find out as we go through the interview that she's a very down-to-earth person who has a lot of wonderful things to say. She really enjoys cooking and baking. Her husband makes spaghetti dinners every Sunday, and she will cook 30 meals in a day and go for three months without cooking more than twice a week because of all that she had prepped ahead of time. That means she's organized, which means I really envy her. (laughs) She is a terrific author, and this book that we're going to be talking about is the second in a series. The first one was Veiled in Smoke. The second one is Shadows of the White City. If you haven't guessed it already, our guest today is Jocelyn Green. Welcome to the show, Jocelyn. Thank you so much for having me. This will be fun. It will be. I'm very excited to talk to you because I've so enjoyed your books, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know the author behind some of them. Thank you. Why don't we start there? Why don't we start with you just telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, I live in Cedar Falls, Iowa, so I am a Midwestern girl, and I have two children, ages 12 and 14. So we're edging into these teenage years, which is a whole new ball game of parenthood. I have written a number of books by now. I started off writing nonfiction before I got into fiction, but now that I'm writing fiction, I hope to not stop doing that for a very long time. My hobbies that I enjoy pretty much revolve around books. I don't know if writing counts as a hobby, but reading, I like to bake, especially when I'm stressed. I like to garden, but that's something that I only do a few months out of the year with the weather that we have in the Midwest. That's for sure. I also enjoy the gardening and seeing my garden buried under about a foot and a half of snow right now is really discouraging to me. (laughs) We have at least that much right now too. And I just keep thinking how exciting it's going to be when spring comes and everything comes back to life. (laughs) That's right. So you're surviving the cold and the snow very well then. Yep, we are surviving. We are. Good. I'm so excited because I read Veiled in Smoke when it came out last year about the Chicago fire, and I loved it. I thought it was terrific. 
when I saw that you were coming out with a follow-up to that, which is Shadows of the White City, I couldn't wait to get my hands on a copy of it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Shadows of the White City? Sure. Well, we do pick up with the same sisters that we meet in Veiled in Smoke, except for 22 years have passed. So the first book takes place in 1871. Shadows of the White City takes place in 1893 because I really wanted to use the 1893 World's Fair of Chicago as the backdrop for the story. So this time it's Sylvie's turn for the story. She's the younger sister and she is 43 years old when we pick up with her story. Uh, She still owns the, the family bookstore. She has taken in a Polish immigrant child and Now, when we pick up with the story, this child, Rose, is 17 years old, and she goes missing at the World's Fair. So the plot just kind of revolves around trying to find her and also trying to understand the motivations of what Rose was going through as an adopted child who was also trying to find her Polish roots and her biological family at the same time. How interesting. So you have a heroine who is 43 years old. Yes. That's very different. You know, they're always young and gorgeous and everything like that. So to have a character that, especially in the 1890s, is 43, that would be well into middle age at that point. Yes, that's true. What was it like? writing a character of that age as opposed to a heroine in her 20s? I really enjoyed it. I'm 43 myself, so it was really easy for me to relate to her. And as she's, and she is single when we meet her at the start of the book. I didn't mention that, I don't think. But I mean, I can relate to my own experience when you you feel fine, you feel young, and then you look in the mirror and you see gray hair sprouting at the temples and at your part, and you're starting to see laugh lines coming out from your eyes and realizing that I'm aging. I am getting older, but I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am, and I know what I want, and I'm very content with the way my life is now, and that's something that is unique to Sylvie as a single 43-year-old in 1893. She's not wishing that she was married. She's content with the way that her life is right now. I did see one reviewer who, who did enjoy the book, but I got such a kick out of the way she phrased it. She said that Shadows of the White City has a middle-aged love story in it. Which is true, but it just cracked me up because, you know, I guess my husband and I still are in love and I guess we have our own middle-aged love story, which just sounds so funny to me. (laughs) It does. That is a middle-aged love story. Yes, it's accurate. I love it. That's great. I love when authors choose really different characters or different settings or something that sets their book apart. And so I think that will really set Shadows of the White City apart from a lot of other books that are out there for sure. Now, you also mentioned that you really wanted to use the Chicago World's Fair in this story. Why were you so set on using that? 
when I planned out this series, the Windy City Saga, I chose three major events in Chicago's history that I wanted to use. And each one of them were just really big events. We have the Great Fire, which was unveiled in smoke. The World's Fair was fascinating to me, and it always will be, because it brought together such a collection of cultures from around the world, and it celebrated all of the achievements and inventions that people from around the world had been making in the previous century. And if you think of the 1890s, there were so many changes. Bicycles had come into vogue. Automobiles, not quite yet, but electricity. We had Nikola Tesla who lit up the World's Fair. Helen Keller went to the World's Fair. She was a child, but she got to meet someone who had invented the Braille typewriter. So we have all these different personalities. Susan B. Anthony was there. Jane Addams was there. And I just felt like it was rich with potential, lots of scope for the imagination, as Anne Shirley would say. Yes. (laughs) And that really was a very interesting period in time, because as you said, so many new inventions were bursting onto the scene that it was an interesting time to be alive, I'm sure. So really neat that you picked that. The other thing I forgot to mention that made it so interesting to me was that during this World's Fair, they called it the White City because the buildings were made to look like marble there was a national depression going on. And so if you're in the White City going to the fair, everything seems completely idyllic and like a fairy tale. And you step outside of the World's Fair and you're confronted with sort of harsh realities. Banks were failing, railroads were going bankrupt. And in Sylvie's search for her daughter, we get to see the seedier side of Chicago and the places that she's searching. So I really like the juxtaposition of the dazzling spectacle of the fair, and then some harsher realities that a lot of immigrants were facing as well. What was it that drew you to write about things that happened in Chicago, like the Great Fire and the World's Fair? That's a great question. One of the things was simply proximity. I mentioned that I live in the Midwest, and I do enjoy traveling to every setting that I write about, and I hadn't yet written anything in the Midwest. So Chicago had, you know, lots of history from which to choose, and I live only a five or six hour car drive away. So for this series, I've been able to make three trips out there already, which was fantastic before everything closed down with the pandemic, as opposed to I've written stories set in New Orleans and Montreal and Quebec City and Philadelphia. And I've gone to all of those places, but I wasn't able to spend as much time there as I have been in Chicago. So it was kind of a practical research, logistical consideration. And What does your research consist of? Because as you said, there's a lot of really rich history between the Great Fire and the World's Fair. There's so much there to get to know. So how did you go about researching Shadows of the White City? Well, first, I tried to find as many printed materials and online resources as I could. And thankfully, 
there's a ton out there, especially on books.google.com. There's thousands of pages describing it. So I have plenty of books, but I also wanted to go and see the buildings. I have a tour guide named Kevin who lives in Chicago and he has his own tour guide company. And for each book so far, I shared my plot synopsis synopses <laughs> with Kevin <laughs> and he was able to customize these tours for me to take me around to see the architecture that's still standing which was much easier for the 1893 book than the 1871 book so some of the places that I was able to get inside were the auditorium theater the Palmer House Hotel Macy's which used to be Marshall Field the Museum of Science and Industry, which is one of the only buildings still standing from the World's Fair of 1893. It was built to house their art collection. So even though when you're inside, it looks nothing like the way it did then, it still gave me a sense of the scope. And of course, I was also able to go to the Jane Addams Hull House Museum. And one thing that I really like about going to these places is that I get to establish contacts with the museum curators and historians. So if I have a question later, I can email and say, it was so great to meet you, just following up on some little question that I had. Because as much as you read, and I'm sure that you found this too, Liz, in your own research, you can read until you're blue in the face and not find the answer to this question that you have. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And of course, in Chicago, I was able to view more primary source materials at like the Chicago Historical Society and the Newberry Library. So there's a lot that I can do on site that I can't get to with books. That is so very true. There's just something about being at the place where you set your story that makes it all that more real. So I totally get why you would want to do that. And we'll talk when we're done about Kevin, because I may want his name. He sounds like a great resource. I would love to give that to you. And that is so cool. I did not know. I've been to the Museum of Science and Industry a bunch myself because we only live about two, two and a half hours from there. So I've been there for school and took my kids there to see it. And I never realized that it was part of the World's Fair. Yes. So I learned something. Good. Yes. Very neat. I was on your website looking around and I noticed that you have some videos on there that you made about the book. Can you tell us about those videos? Because I thought they were so cool. Oh, I'm so glad that you thought so. Yes. I made a series of four videos just to give readers a sense of the place, because as well as I try to describe these spectacles from the World's Fair, there's just nothing like seeing it for yourself. And so I use historic photographs, and it's just like a, it's almost like a slideshow of these historic photographs, and I'm talking over them to explain you know, this was the music hall and it seats this many people. And over there is this movable sidewalk with park benches bolted onto a conveyor belt. And the last one that I did was about the midway. 
which was technically not on the fairgrounds, but it that's where the Ferris wheel was. And that was the original Ferris wheel that was built for the fair and fairs the world over have seemed to have Ferris wheels ever since. But each video is about three minutes long. So hopefully they will give readers just an even better sense of place. I would highly encourage the listeners to go and watch those videos. They're on your website. And I thought they were very informative and really did give me a sense of everything that was going on. And I loved the pictures because I'm a visual person. So they were a great aid and you did a fabulous job with them. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. It was my 12-year-old son who did all the video editing, adding the sound and putting the graphics in. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. You have a talented young man on your hands there. <laughs> Thank you. I'll borrow him. Okay? All right. <laughs> now, you write both fiction and you said you started off with nonfiction. So can you tell us a little bit about your nonfiction that you've written? Sure. Well, I started off with my very first book, is a devotional for military wives because I was a Coast Guard wife at the time. It's called Faith Deployed, Daily Encouragement for Military Wives. And it's a collection of about 90 devotions written by not just myself, but a team of 13 or 14 other military wives from every branch of service since I was in the Coast Guard. And I wanted to make sure to hit all of the branches, active duty and reserves and National Guard. And from there, I did a number of books for and about the military community. The most well-known one, of course, would be the Five Love Languages Military Edition with Gary Chapman. I was able to come alongside him and add some content to the end of each chapter about the love languages on how do you do this love language when there's a deployment, when you have physical separation. And we added some extra chapters that deal with challenges that are more particular to the military marriage than you would find in a civilian marriage. So I was very happy to be able to team up with him on that project. What a great opportunity. And as the mom of a child with special needs, I noticed you also have a book about parenting a child with special needs. Can you tell us a little bit about that one too? Yes, indeed. That is also a devotional book. It's called Refresh. Spiritual Nourishment for Parents of Children with Special Needs. My co-author on that one is Kimberly Drew. She has two children with multiple disabilities each. And we just, she wrote from her experience and I interviewed a number of families who have children representing a variety of different challenges. And we, we really recognize that in families with special needs, very often the parents for practical reasons aren't getting to church or they're not getting their own spiritual needs met because they're so busy taking care of their children. And these are people, these parents need spiritual nourishment the most. You know, it's not a competition, but I'm saying they really could use it. They could really use encouragement and they're not able to go and be in community with others, maybe as often as they would like to because of the special need. So we wanted to put together this book and try to, you know, find them where they are and get it into their hands 
to, and it takes them from all stages, from the diagnosis, and we've even, we're even touching on not just the grief that comes after a diagnosis, but I talked to a family who had two children with San Filippo syndrome. And sadly, that lifespan is not past 18, and they lost both of their children. So we talk about really hard things. But I think that's that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that we don't have to be afraid to address these things. And that's something that came up in the book a lot. We're not trying to wrap up these hard things with a shiny bow. We're saying, you know what? If you're angry, tell God about it. You get to have those emotions and he's big enough to handle it. We don't have to pretend that everything's okay. So it's very much like working through where the parent is in whatever stage that they're in. I love that. As the mom of a child with special needs, I can say amen to everything that you just said. So, so very needed and something I'm going to pick up. So thank you for taking a little time out from Shadows of the White City to talk about that. My pleasure. Now, you mentioned there were three events in Chicago that you really wanted to highlight. So you did the Great Fire in Veiled in Smoke, and now you've done the World's Fair in Shadows of the White City. Is the next book the third event? Yes, it is. (laughs) Can you tell us about that a little bit? Sure. So the next event takes place in 1915. And it is the Eastland disaster. Now, you live pretty close to Chicago. So I'm curious if you have ever heard of the Eastland disaster. I have not. Okay. Well, you can't believe it. I think you're in the vast majority of people in that regard. The Eastland disaster was an event on July 24th, 1915. Eastland was the name of a steamship on the Chicago River. It was full of employees from the Western Electric Factory. They were getting ready to go on their annual picnic. They were going to go across Lake Michigan. There were about 2,500 people on board, and the ship tipped over. It just tipped over in the river, and 844 people died. And this is something that happened 20 feet from the docks. It was still tied to the dock. And a lot of these people were trapped in the bottom decks because it was raining out and they were dressed in their finery for this annual picnic. So, and a lot of them were women and children and they were in dresses and they didn't know how to swim. They were immigrants that did not swim for leisure. That was not an activity that they had learned to do. So, My main character is a life insurance investigator, and the inciting incident is the Eastland disaster, and she is trying to find someone who's missing after the disaster. Wow. That is a fascinating background to that story. You're right. I can't believe that living 90 miles north of Chicago, I have never heard of that story before. I've never heard of that happening. So that should be really interesting. Yes. Next time you go, I think it's on the Clark Street Bridge. You know, they've got those huge stone things on the on the end of the bridge. Look for a little plaque that says, right here on July 24th, 1915 was the Eastland disaster. 
how many millions of people have walked by that plaque and just had no idea what that was all about. Now, the timing of it, it was just a few months after the Lusitania was sunk by the German torpedoes, and it was three years after the Titanic. So it, it felt like, you know, not as dramatic, but in some ways, I think it was almost worse because they didn't run into an iceberg and nobody torpedoed them. Okay. I shouldn't have said it was worse. It's not worse. It's all terrible. Loss of life is always terrible. But it was shocking. It was so shocking. Like, how does a boat just tip over? <laughs> so as you can tell, I just turned in the rough draft for this book. So it's like at the forefront of my mind. Am I, and I'm still all fired up about it. It was just such a tragedy. It certainly was. That sounds horrible. And I can't imagine going through that. Now, does this have to do with the same family that's in Veiled in Smoke and Shadows of the White City also? It does. So in Shadows of the White City, you meet Meg's daughter, Olive, who is seven years old. And in the third book, she's 29 years old. So she is the heroine of the third book. Well, that should be really interesting. And you don't really have to read the books in order in order to get the story. Right. They would each work as a standalone. I would just say if anybody thinks they might want to read all of them, it would be better in order. But if you're only interested in the World's Fair, certainly you could just read Shadows of the White City. So do you have any last words for the listeners? I would just say to the listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us for this conversation. I think we live in a world where we like to get sound bites and we have like a 30 second attention span on social media. So thank you for joining us. And if you decide to pick up one of my books, thank you so much for that. And thanks to Liz for having me on here today. And thank you for coming on here. You were a great guest. It was so nice to chat with you. And time really has flown by. I can't believe that we're at the end of the time already. But thank you so much again. We appreciate it. That's about all the time we have for this episode. Thank you so much to Jocelyn again for joining us. She was absolutely delightful. If you have not subscribed to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform, please do so. You can find the show notes for this episode on my website, which is liztolsma.com. If you don't follow us on social media, please be sure to do so because we have lots of great interaction over there. Sometimes I will ask you questions or put up a poll. I always love to have your insight into the topics that we should be talking about and what you are thinking about what's happening in the world of Christian historical fiction. And please join us next time because we have a wonderful debut author, Jennifer Diebel, who is going to be joining us on the next episode. She has written a terrific book that is set in Ireland, a really different and unique setting. So you'll want to find out more about this wonderful new book and this wonderful new Christian historical fiction author. Thank you so much once more for joining me, and we will see you next time.